Walden. I'm the Director of Faculty Development here, and um, uh, so glad you could come this morning. Uh, some of us, we don't always do this, but around the table it seems more appropriate for now, just do a quick name, where you're from kind of thing, might be, might be nice. Um, and then we can end with our three presenters who can introduce themselves, so that would be a nice way to go. Do you want to start then? Because we're going to end with him. <laughs> yes. Um, so, my name is Brooke Duffy. I am the coordinator of the instruction at the library. I just started three weeks ago. Oh, so well done. Welcome. Thanks. Oh, Ed. Ed. Jones. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm supposed, supposed to go last. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we're going this way. Uh, hi, I'm Lisa Shikovitz. I work at SHIMS in the Occupational Therapy Department, and this is my first uh, time, my first year full time teaching. I'm Melissa Martini. I'm the graduate assistant for the Center for Faculty Development. And then I'm a uh, student RMA program. I'm Barry Lombro, I'm a faculty associate and director of field education and social work. Uh, my name is Joey Hosted. Uh, this is my first year on with the school of policy. I'm Joe Boxton, uh, lecturer in English department. Uh, sorry for my late arrival. Uh, my name is Song Yeo Han, and I uh, in the uh, Department of Language, Literatures, and Cultures, uh, Asian Studies, and I'm adjunct. So, Jim Gimble, Communication and the Arts. I'll be going first in a little bit. Um, Jonathan Farina in the English Department. And Ed Jones in the English Department. <laughs> it's really about who. I send out calls periodically. Um, you may see them um, uh, for, for uh, people to, um, to participate or for sessions, workshops, whatever. So I'm always open to any ideas. If you have an idea of something you'd like to see, even if you don't necessarily want to do it yourself, please let me know. I'm always looking for, for things to do. So, um, but one of the things that came up was, it actually I think started with Jim, about alternate forms, you know, how are some of the ways you can do assessment. And I had also been talking to Ed, um, who I'm also in the English department, um, and I knew that Ed had taken on a new form of assessment, of assessing student papers, um, as opposed to writing comments on them. Um, and then I knew Jonathan also had this approach to doing um, finals, so doing oral finals, which a few people, not very many, but a few people in the department do, some more sporadically than others. Uh, but I just put these three things together um, gave us some options because one of the reasons it seems like people don't want to assign writing or essay tests and things like that in exams um, is because they don't necessarily want to deal with the grading, um, both the amount of it, depending on how many students you have, but also a lot of people who haven't been trained to do it feel often um, just like uh, uncomfortable, they're not sure if they're making good comments. By the way, that'll be a session to come. We've done that <laughs> before, how do you comment on a paper? Um, but I just thought these were interesting approaches, so um, I've asked each, um, each of these gentlemen to talk for you know, about 10 minutes or so, maybe a little more, and then leaving us plenty of time for discussion. If you want to stop them, I'm sure they'll mind if you ask questions, we can do that. This is very informal. And again, please get up and help yourself to food or whatever you need. So, Jim, you're starting us? Okay. Go well, I don't know if this is a, a time saver for anyway, anybody, and this may in fact add time to your burden, so <laughs> something to keep in mind. Uh, and if there's any re repeats, whoops, that's not coming. 
almost, so this is being recorded, by the way. So we do uh, audio record everything and put it up on the Faculty website. So people who can't be in attendance, um, you can access it probably in a few days. That's what a false start there. All right, so now we can see the screen. Uh, so this may add to your burden, um, but I am increasingly, like many of us, concerned about the possibilities for plagiarism. Um, in particular, the kind of plagiarism where a student uh, may be paying somebody else to do their work for them. And so they've submitted some work that looks pretty good, uh, and there are some possible ways to fight against that, but it's a little difficult using, like, SafeAssign or something like that because it's sort of a different category. And the analogy that I start with here um, is the idea of preventing someone from robbing your home. So that's a goal that I assume that we all have one way or the other. Uh, the task really isn't to make robbing your home impossible. If somebody who knows what they're doing really, really, really wants in your house and knows where to go and has all the planning in place, they're probably going to be successful. Uh, the task really is more about cost-benefit analysis, making it so difficult that the robber or the thief or whoever um, decides to go somewhere else. And so you raise the stakes for that person who wants to do whatever it is you don't want them to do. Um, so for instance, we have some evidence that a convincing fake camera, um, even if it's fake, right, is a deterrent because it increases uh, that, co that cost or that potential cost to the thief or to the robber. And I think the same analogy works in some ways for plagiarism. When students know that they will have to defend their work in front of you, the professor, that raises the stakes for them. It's not going to prevent every instance. Um, if they have an unlimited budget, you know, and they're able to prepare in the right way, you're not going to catch it. But this is just one way to make it a little more daunting for them as they're considering the prospect of uh, plagiarizing. Bless you. So I'll just offer a couple of ideas uh, on how I have done it, the overall philosophy um, behind what I'm doing here in oral defenses. Um, it would be easy, I think, for an oral defense of a major paper to become adversarial in nature. And so I begin, as I describe this to the students early on in the semester, that this is going to happen um, by explaining that it is not um, adversarial. Uh, I do talk about it being uh, deterrence, but I also talk about it in the context of an academic conversation. Not that they're all going to be academics, but this isn't the nature of academia, is we talk about the work that we do. Um, so it doesn't have to be just on the paper um, with their, their writing and my comments. Um, in the humanities, at least, a lot of what we do is make claims based on evidence. We test those claims, that evidence is part of the vital process. And so I explain uh, to them that defending those ideas is important for them to learn how to do, particularly if they're going to be going to graduate school. You were talking about your thesis a couple of seconds ago. Um, defending the work that we do is a part of that process. And it's true in many careers. We defend our ideas. So as I explain to them, um, I try to say that this is something they ought to be able to do. The justification is positive. It's an engagement with their written ideas. Um, even as I introduce that idea, though, I also address the idea of responsibility. Um, I explain to them that I could be fired from Seton Hall University, tenured or not, if I plagiarize. The university takes this issue very seriously for all of us, not just uh, the students. And that's how seriously the academic world is, as a whole takes academic dishonesty. It takes it very seriously. Um, on the syllabus, uh, this is part of our class, class contract, as it were. Um, and I explained that the reason is 
that the research shows that there is a link between oral defenses and lower rates of plagiarism. Um, I don't know that if somebody raised their hand and said, could you name the five sources where you found that, that I could say, oh, it's X, Y, and Z. Um, but I want to make that connection from the start uh, in their minds, that having an oral defense reduces plagiarism. I want them to make that connection from the very beginning. So um, everyone goes through it. Uh, it doesn't matter if I'm suspicious. Uh, it's just something that we all um, have to do in the class. Um, if I do get suspicious, I tell them my questions will get a little more pointed in the oral defense. So what does it involve? So the oral defense of a major essay uh, is simply a time that I schedule with them, uh, usually about 10 minutes. Uh, they come prepared to that session. I tell them to be familiar with what they've written. You know, if they've finished it two weeks previously, they might want to refresh uh, their minds on what's going on in the paper. Uh, and I tell them to bring a hard copy uh, for me and probably a hard copy for them or they might have it on their computer. And so I have something in front of me as I'm looking uh, for what I want to ask them. Um, and so the defense is a constituent component of the assignment. So from right at the very beginning of the assignment, as they're looking at the assignment description, they see that it, it is part of the assignment, and they see that there are points attached to it. So it's a responsibility if they're going to engage this assignment. And typically, I schedule it outside of class time. Um, some semesters, we have one extra day, so 29 meetings versus 28 uh, to our, our, our scheduling committee. right? Um, and so on those days, I will take a class day and devote it to defenses and just break it up into 10-minute increments and we can do it right in the classroom. But usually they end up in my office, uh, just a one-on-one -on -one session um, as they bring their hard copy of the essay to that session. Um, I usually begin with a sort of innocuous probe, something like, is there anything about this essay that you'd like to share with me? So far, nobody has said, oh, I plagiarized. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, and maybe it's the case that nobody has plagiarized, but uh, that at least gives them an opportunity to uh, talk a little bit about what they're doing. Fundamentally, what I'm doing uh, in this defense is I'm checking for understanding. Do they understand what's on that page? My presumption is, or my assumption rather, uh, that if they did not write this essay, then they won't know what's in it. They won't have an understanding at all of a very superficial understanding at the very least. Um, so some strategies that I might do depending on if I'm suspicious or not. I might ask them to read aloud a challenging paragraph, um, especially one that has some of those sophisticated vocabulary words that I'm a little suspicious they might not know what they are. Um, I might ask them about specific word choices. What does this word mean? Why did you choose this word from among the other options? From a structural perspective, I may ask them, what are the key points in your paper? Why did you choose to make this point before you made that one? So what were the choices involved in that structure? I'll also check for ownership, especially if the essay is notably different from previous work that they've turned in for this class, so my suspicions are up again. Um, I might ask a, a rather uh, forward question. I might say, this paper has a different voice than your earlier work. What happened? And maybe there's some, something that accounted for that. You know, maybe they um, spent additional time on this and the rest of their work was just throwaway work. Well, that's one reason that it might sound different. I'd like to hear them justify that. Then I can ask about the writing process in terms of the ownership. Uh, where did you write it? How did you find your sources? Walk me through how you found this particular source. What databases did you use? Which of the sources in your bibliography was most helpful and it reflects most in the essay itself, or specifically tell me about this source. 
so there was an instance when I was doing this uh, where I strongly suspected that the student had plagiarized or had engaged in some form of academic dishonesty uh, because this student quoted a source uh, in the essay that I lecture about, um, but that source is not available in our library. It's an, an edited collection from like 1938. <laughs> I'm just not available in our library. I need to have to search very hard to find it online. Um, that person quoted it, so that I honed in on that source. I said, okay, so we have this Wood Elm, this 1925 source, uh, so tell me where you found that. And the students claimed that they found it in our library. And that wasn't the case. And so the conversation went from there, that it was clear there was something dishonest going on. I always end with responsibility then. So the last question of the oral defense uh, for me is, uh, did you, are you the sole author of this paper? So I want them to go on the record. Um, it's kind of their last chance to admit to something. So far, nobody has said, no, I wasn't the author. Um, they always affirm the, that authorship. But um, to me, it's part, that's part of the process, is them owning the work, claiming responsibility for it. Um, and again, it's raising those stakes. And so that takes me back to the opening analogy that I offered, the idea of preventing robbery of your home. Uh, an oral defense isn't going to prevent every instance of academic dishonesty. The student really, really wants to do it, just like the thief who really, really wants in your house is probably going to happen, but we can raise the stakes. And so here's one deterrent to those cheating temptations that some of our students do face. So I'll be glad to address questions after we're done or whatever. I actually have an immediate question, um, if you don't mind. I mean, I've said this as well. So you've already read this paper, and you've already graded it, or no, you're going to wait to do the final grade. Okay. It depends, yeah. Okay. Um, you can't, you schedule them enough ahead of time that you don't necessarily know if you'll be done grading them by then. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Can, can I ask a question? When you ask about word choice, choice that mechanism, it would seem that you know, getting into a thesaurus and picking words you don't understand is a pretty common thing that PhDs even do yes. pretty often. Uh, is there any way of uh, sort of by their answers telling the difference between that, between just like, oh, I don't really know about the thesaurus and um, yeah, there's no you know red light that goes off when they when they lie about that sort of thing. But it can invite a conversation about you know, selecting words from a thesaurus that you don't really know, um, and whether or not that's the best strategy for them. So you're right, a lot of people do that, and that is a response that I will get sometimes. Do um, One could, but I imagine there's legal like we just signed the forms. Yeah. Uh, here for this recording, and this just opens up so many uh, pitfalls I want to avoid. Mm -hmm. yeah, good question. Does it give you other information as well? I mean, I realize certainly one use of this method is to make sure that what you're getting is from them and so on. Um, but um, do you find that it's also helpful in just eliciting other kinds of information? For example, maybe about a paper that you might have thought yes. one way about it. Yes, yeah, uh, sometimes, I'm sure we've all had a, a, a circumstance similar to this. You, know, you read a paper and you just don't get what the student was trying to say. Um, and then they explain it to you in person. You're like, oh, okay, well, that kind of changes my perspective in some ways. Yeah, I, I thought that was completely extraneous to your argument, but it actually fits. Just make that clearer. In some cases, it can turn into a critique. You know, We have students that we feel pretty confident about them and their honesty and their um, and so an oral defense can really become a chance to talk with them um, about how to improve it, make it stronger.
coaching session. That being said, is there time for revision afterwards? In the way I have it structured now, there is not, um, but I can see a structure of a class doing it that way, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm also curious if you uh, also use this uh, time for oral defense as a way to provide evaluation on that feedback? Sometimes. Um, or does student actually kind of ask about the grade? Yeah. Uh, yes, they will sometimes. Uh, and if I try not to give feedback uh, to individual students, um, formal feedback, until everyone has it, right? Uh, so if I'm still in the process of grading the papers, I'll usually say something like, well, I'm not done grading them all, um, but I'll get that feedback to you as soon as possible and we can talk about it more. Um, but in an informal sense, it is an opportunity for feedback. Um, maybe talking about you know, how, this, how that paragraph connected to that one and how they can do that better. You know, so at a smaller level. How do you integrate that information that you receive in this oral discussion into the grade? How do you do that? Um, there's a separate grade from the oral defense. Um, so it's to say it's a 150-point uh, paper. Um, there's usually 15 or 20 points devoted just to this. It's usually more pass-fail than anything. Um, so it's not the case that they're all nervous and they can't deliver very well that they fail the oral defense. That's not really the point of it. So it's, it's not related to the essay grade itself. Um. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing you have run across situations where you've found, in the course of the conversation, it was plagiarized. Mm -hmm. What happens at that point? So it's no different than uh, any other time when I've caught plagiarism. So usually when I catch plagiarism, it's through safe assign. Uh -huh. So you can see they use right. the source and it's not acknowledged. Um, and here, it was a slightly different case that Wick Elm's example, 1925 book, it was academic dishonesty nonetheless, um, and so the student failed the assignment. And, and I'm just curious about what you did in the moment. Oh, um, this is four or five years ago. Oh, well. Um, well, well yeah, 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 I don't know that, I don't know that a big hand came out of the ceiling <laughs> and squashed the student. Um, but I'm pretty sure I let him know that there would be consequences, you know, for this, and that I would I would have to talk it over with my chair. Um, so. Yeah, I, I don't know how comfortable I would have been saying, you know, zero, off the island, or something like that. You know. um, that's a little confrontational. That's too much. Good question. Um, all right. Um, I've made a handout, but and I'm going to commit a teaching folly by handing it out first. Okay. <laughs> um, which you should never do, because you'll just read on this. But, um, so a couple years back, maybe three years back, the honors program decided to start administering oral finals. And I actually forget what our original motivation was. Partly it's we inundate our students with assessment in honors, so they get a, a written quiz every single day. Um, they have three regular written finals or written exams throughout the semester, and they have three essays to write during the semester. So it's a bit overkill, it felt. But we still wanted to administer final. And we wanted them to, you know, one of the primary goals of, I think, most of our humanities courses, besides teaching students how to write, is how can they talk about sophisticated ideas um, well. And we felt like we, you know, this part of the grade is class participation, but that felt too loosey-goosey and not rigorous enough. So we decided, let's have a 15-minute oral final exam for everyone. So the mechanism we use is, 
we, a week beforehand, we distribute three questions ahead of time. Um, on paper, we give them to them. The three questions are broad and they speak specifically to the primary object learning outcomes for the class. So for honors, the three learning outcomes are that they can um, talk about how the history of um, what counts as knowledge has changed over time, um, how the history of what counts as, as a human person has changed over time, and um, the third is um, an ability to describe the engagement between a kind of predominantly Christian European culture with other cultures that have been developing over the time period that we cover. So each question will, you know, each one addresses those three topics and will list, you know, answer with at least three of the following people and we give a smattering of, of authors from over the semester. And so they have a week and the other thing they get is they can start wherever they want with these answers. Um, and they come in, we give them a 20 minute slot, they arrange it um, and they get 15 minutes, they start out and maybe five minutes in depending on the student and the quality of the response. Um, the teacher starts and, and kind of interjects with, you know, ask follow-up questions. You've answered with Descartes, why didn't you talk about Bacon with this question? Um, and what's nice about it is depending on the sophistication of the student or the nervousness of the student, you can adjust the exam mid-flow. So a student who's doing really well, you can press them to do even better and, and make it into a really complex, interesting conversation. A student who's very nervous, you could calm them down and, and find out what they do know. Because often enough, we have a paper exam, has a question someone studied and actually has prepared, but somehow the, the things they don't know turn out to be the ones that they're asked on the exam and they're frustrated because why didn't you ask about this or that? This eliminates that because you could actually say, if they're stumped and say, well, if you can't answer with an example from so-and-so, tell me about another person on the syllabus. Uh, but it gives them avenues to demonstrate what they do know. And of course you factor that in. So if you can't answer the obvious or the big things I want to know, that's going to work against them. But it relaxes them, it gets them to show exactly what they do know. And hands down, I mean, two minutes into these exams, I know what they're getting more often than not. And to, with much greater clarity than if I had a paper exam. Because in a paper exam, poor, poorly written answers can be vague and you're wondering, is this person just bullshitting with, take that out of the record, uh, <laughs> with uh, broad generalizations and just dropping keywords or do they actually know, you know what they're talking about? In person, I can ask them right there, be more specific. What do you mean, give me the, the kind of specific passage you're referring to and whatnot. So you can press them to really find out if they're just kind of glossing over and, and trying to connect the dots or if they actually know what they're talking about. So I, I think it's, it, it's excellent for that. It's excellent for meeting the student where they are and finding out as much as they do know um, really well. So, you know, midstream we'll cut them off and say, all right, let's talk about one of these other questions. Sometimes they're just being so interesting that we, we go on in one direction or another. Um, we tell them ahead of time the syllabus is fair game. So we could ask about whatever we want with the understanding that they're not, ex you know, to get an A, you don't have to be able to talk about everything I ask perfectly. But in, in you know, mid-progress, it's a teaching moment. So if they can't talk about Galileo or whomever, I'll, I'll stop and say, look, if you can't talk about someone or answer a question that someone's asked you the way they've asked it, here's how you can go about answering it in a way that doesn't make you seem unprepared or like you don't know they say, look, I'd rather answer this question not with Galileo, but I think that whatever, Montague makes a much better example. 
and and segue that way. So you learn, you know, you teach them while they're in this process how to deal with these situations, which they'll get in job interviews or at work uh, or in other classes. So it's nice kind of one-on-one -on -one tutorial. It's very quick, so you don't get. It's not as revolutionary as you might like it to be, but what's great for me is that it's. You know, students might have that misunderstanding of comps or this lingering idea that they didn't get, and you have a chance to nip it in the bud and correct it in a way that they'll actually pay attention to. Whereas if you've written this on their paper comments, the last paper of the year, you know, they, you see them tear through the pages to get to the grade, and, and who knows if it sinks in. Um, but if you're talking to their face and you're presenting it as, I'm helping you to do better in the future, it feels like it sinks in, at least to me it feels like it sinks in. And there's a kind of connection, so afterwards you're put on the spot and you have to grade them on the spot. And I think that's the hardest part is not what grade they deserve, but actually telling them to their face immediately that they get that grade. Um, so there is a tendency to, to inflate grades more than one might normally do, which you have to be prepared to fight um, in the moment. Um, but I tell them outright, and I tell them as we're going what they did wrong. So if they're, you know, they feel terrible. Oh, I answered this one poorly. I'll say like, well, what you did poorly with it is how you, you know, yes, you didn't know this, but what made it worse was you sat there, <laughs> you know, trying to make it up instead of just saying, look, I don't remember that person right now, but I can answer this question so and so, um, or what, or you know, changing the topic creatively. Um, so uh, at the end, they. You know, I not only tell them what they get, but try to get in there a minute or two of personal kind of connection. Of, you know, that last minute, how did you enjoy the course? What was your favorite reading of the course? What would you change? What do you want to be? What are you doing next year? Those kind of, kind of out the door questions that make a connection that make, brings the student back to you the next semester. Um, they'll stop by in office hours. And, and I find that last kind of word before finals really does make a difference with them personally and they feel like more engaged with the course, um, whatever it happened all year. Um, so I have some strategies here that I haven't mentioned yet. Um, playing devil's advocate um, can make the exam into a conversation rather than a speech, so you don't want them to just come in there and have, you know, because they'll sit in the hallway memorizing their note card of how they're going to answer it. you got to nip that in the bud because anyone can memorize a 15-minute speech ahead of time when they have the questions. It's what can they do off script that matters. Um, and again, we tell them we're doing that. It's, um, I'm going to disagree with you, not because I necessarily disagree with you, but because that's the, the game we're playing. And you need to be able to defend yourself. So as long as they know I'm doing it, not because I actually doubt them, um, or at least that they think that that's the case, um, it usually works well. Um, so yes, ask about other texts besides the ones on there. Um, ask why they're not using someone specific, and this is another one I tell them I'm going to do ahead of time. Because it's not just a free game that you get to choose these people and ignore the others. You need to give me a reasonable answer for why you're ignoring the others. Not just you didn't like it or can't understand it, but why do they make less sense than some other example. Um, I've talked about that. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, halfway through we have a class of 37 and we split it in two because it's co-taught. Um, so we each have whatever that is, 16 or 17 students, 18 students. Um, it's a big chunk of time. You'll find that they like answering the same questions and saying the same things about them, and you'll end up saying the same things to them in return. So you have to combat that somehow. So when I'm, in, when I'm stuck, I'll ask them, what's relevant about this question now? 
tell me about whatever your major is, your career, your, you know, the politics you're interested in, how does this question we're talking about impact that? Um, and, and that refreshes the conversation nicely and gets them again to think about what the hell have I done all semester and how is it relevant to my life? <laughs> um, which, you know, I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone else of teaching the content of the course all semester and forgetting to make that connection to life even though I teach um, literature. Um, yes, uh, beforehand, uh, they're less anxious than they used to be, the students, because now we have, I think all four colloquia use um, the oral exam, so they've done it at least once, if not twice before, by the time they get to mine. But they still get anxious, because no matter how warm and cuddly we are, they're afraid of us. Um, and think that somehow our classroom persona in the office hour situation is going to turn into some aggressive grilling. Um, so they need to be talked down and assured that, you know, it's a friendly conversation, it's just me and whatnot. But I think it's worthwhile because if they're that nervous with us after having known us for a whole semester, God knows how they are when they get into an interview for the first time or into some work situation for the first time. So I think it's a good experience in a friendly environment. Uh, again, benefits, it's very simple to see through the bullshit and to find out what someone does or does not know and how well they know it. They actually hear the comments you're giving them. Um, they may not remember them, but they actually do have to experience them instead of skipping by just for free. Um, you can coach them and teach them in the moment. Um, it's a nice counterbalance to all the written work they've done. Um, some will complain that, oh, I'm shy, I'm not very good talking. Well, guess what? Some people aren't good taking exams or writing, so um, it's an easy counter-argument that some people are good at talking and this is to their benefit. Um, uh, what else? Um, again, it's, it's a way of assessing the course as well informally, so you do find out what texts work by how they respond. You can tell what they haven't learned well or what they're not responding to well. Um, on an aesthetic level, and you might decide that, oh, look, I'm going to change how we teach this, so I'm going to switch this text out. Um, so it's been useful for that. Um, the challenges, so if you read the boring articles online about um, the scholarly articles about whether oral exams are good or not, most of them deal with, well, it's not a standardized exam. So even though you're giving standardized questions, you're going to behave differently in the moment. Um, based on the student and any kind of uh, prejudice or bias you might have toward that individual student for whatever reason is going to be on display in some different way. I mean, I think you have to be aware of that just like in any other occasion, but I don't know about you, I don't grade my papers anonymously or uh, test anonymously. I know who they are. Um, so that's a factor when I'm grading anything is I have to be wary of, of judging a student before I start grading it based on what, I, you know, what that student has done for me in the past or how they perform in the classroom or whatnot. Um, I'll tell you, we've been surprised many times. There's at least a handful of students each semester will blow your socks off and be like, wow, that student just did that? Um, so it's, it's really an opportunity for students who don't perform well with traditional mechanisms to, um, to show you what they can do. Um, and others will surprisingly not do well as well, and um, that's important for them to experience, I think. Um, let me just see if there's anything else on the bottom here that I want to mention, and otherwise I think I've... Uh, yeah, that's it. Another question? Yes. Um, this seems like it could really help level the playing field for international students, since um, writing is a lot harder than speaking for people who are very good at English as a second language already. Do you find that that's the case with, with this? Yes. Um, 
we don't get that many international students in the honors program, but we do get a, a decent amount from uh, diplomacy. Um, they tend to be terrible writers in general, so yeah. Yeah. You know, they do better on this than everything else. They, they do poorly on all the other forms of assessment they get in class um, compared to this. So, yeah, you know, it shows us that they can read, they are retaining, they can chat about it. Uh, I don't have any empirical data to back that up. Okay. So you also use this in some of your English classes. Yeah, so depending on, and it's always a last minute panic because I'll go into waiting for that last minute Blackboard report to see how many students I'm going to have in the class because it does, it, it may actually be less time than it takes to grade papers properly. If you're grading, you know, a 10 page paper or a, or a final exam, final exams take me basically no time to grade them. You breeze through them, you're not reading on the sentence level, you're just looking for the ideas. Um, so this is 20 minutes a chunk. You know, it's big time of day that you're sitting in your office um, agonizing through the same conversation over and over again. Um, if the class is bigger than 20, I don't do it. But it works great, and it's the same. You just go to those learning outcomes and say, look, what do I really want this student to get out of this class content-wise? And you spin that into a broad question using these four authors or texts address the following question. So now in that case, there's, so I didn't realize this, so there's both a written and an oral for the honors program, there's also a written final exam then as well? It's not a final, it's, so it's three exams spread okay. throughout the semester. Gotcha. One is indeed at the end of, but it's in class from the... I see. And it's the, not like, what, the, like the last third, it's not the oral. Yeah, they're not person. cumulative. Gotcha. So I think this started out as a way of being a soft, right. a, a softer than a comprehensive final. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've thought about doing this, and I know that you. I always worry that I will be too easy mm -hmm. on the oral. That you know, my inclination would be to make that connection and to somehow grade too easily um, as a result. I, I absolutely would not replace right. uh, some more objective instrument that with just this. Right. I think it's a great add-on for maybe maximum 25 percent of the grade, but. But I think you need something else there for the people who don't do as well to and to exactly to counterbalance your own tendency to be sweet. Right. We do it during the final exam period, yeah. So I usually lay out a couple of blocks of time when I'm gonna be here for some you know, in between meetings or whatnot, and then I just give them the slots and they pick them. Yeah. Do you take them and and second question, have you ever had any um, rebellion against uh, your grade in the oral exam. And I say that because I talked to many years interview, which has a long tradition of oral exams. So I've done thousands of them. And I love them. Yeah. I think they're fantastic for all the reasons that you said. I think you get so much more out of the students, depending on how much time you have and all right. that, but, you know. But when I came back to the United States, uh, I was told, do not do oral exams because there's no proof, you know, and so if they contest it, the grade, you have no way of, uh, of uh, you know, proving what you said, and so you're up for confrontation. Um, I actually haven't got, I've got a, a small gripe or two, but not an actual complaint, so people are like, oh, really, is that, you know, and I said, yeah, and that's it. <laughs> uh, and, you know, you say, I'm sorry, but, you know, um, so I haven't yet gotten that kind of complaint. 
It'll happen. I mean, it's it's luck, but you know, we're so we're defended we're defended from that. I mean, if he resolves that, is that you negotiate, you can negotiate, so the student can refuse the grade. Um, that that was the system. So if the student walks in and they do an oral exam. Theoretically, they can refuse the grade um, if they don't accept it. So that was the way. But you know, then you you sort of I wouldn't be inclined to do that, but if someone had done, and some people have been surprising one way or another, but they have been so surprising that it's it's going to impact their grade tremendously. So for the honor students, especially if it's you know they're going to get a D plus instead of an A minus, they're heartbroken. But it's still within the realm of you know it's close enough that um, I'm not going to take seriously a, a complaint about that. Um, so I'll just tell them no, the grading's my purview if you want to complain to my chair yeah, about that. I, I would think you're pretty safe in the honors program. I would worry about it yeah. more. Mm -hmm. I, I have, have a, a wider range of... Yeah, but either way, I mean, if it's not that big of a chunk of the course grade, I, I think you're safe because it's not going to deviate that much. You get the benefits and it's not going to negatively impact their grade tremendously. Uh, and if it does, I'd be inclined to say, look, you really bombed this. You did a terrible job, but I see from your other assignments that you're working hard. Let's let's try again. Maybe come back tomorrow, come back in two days. Um, that would be my inclination off the top. Do you take notes during it? Yeah. So you do a that. Do you yeah. do like a rubric? Yeah. Like a, a rubric like Waller? Sometimes I'm just not a rubric person okay. and I mean I thought of doing it, but uh, what keeps me away from that is the variability with how things are going to go because there could be someone who just nails exactly what I say and what's on the paper really well who's going to get an A because they studied and prepared versus the person who might keep diverting the, the conversation in different ways that nevertheless is answering well and is doing what I want them to get out of the course because what's not going to happen in real life is they're going to walk out into the street and someone says, explain to me Hume's idea of associationism and I expect them to get it right. What I would expect them to do is be able to talk about Hume in, a, in an accurate way, however they want to or need to. So the rubric gets too complicated in the different tracks that people can perform well or poorly. It can be done. It just seems like busy work to me, so I don't do it. But I do take notes on specific insights, ideas that I think are good. I'll, you know, good idea here, or couldn't answer a question about Bob, or this or that. Um, and do you tell them the grade then right there? Or right there, yeah. You do, okay. Yeah. Well, that's an advantage, too, because they hear the grade right then and there. Right. I would think. As and there's an getting it later. And I justify it. It's never just, okay, right. A, it's, this is a B plus because you couldn't answer this. <coughs> and if, if they said, well, wait, I, you know, I answered that, tell me again. They can't. Um, uh, or they can't. So, being real live, they, you know, they're on the line that they either can perform or can't perform, and, and I'm happy to have them correct themselves. I guess it was being part as you said, so maybe some, a multi, not multi in several, but maybe there's plus a, plus a written portion or something like yeah. that. Some people do an in a class and out of class thing, so you might do an oral component and then do something more uh, multiple choice, something easier that kind of test knowledge yeah. or basically in another, you know, another capacity. So something that's easy. I wouldn't want to do a little written essay exam plus this. I mean, that's doubling my work. Yeah. So, but. 
All right, so uh, one we want to add, and then if you have other questions, for Jim or Jonathan, bring them up. I realize, as is usually the case, actually, when I'm teaching, that I don't really know what I'm going to say until the audience is in front of me. <laughs> so I've done all this preparation. Um, but um, whoops. Uh, but my question actually first is how many of you teach a course that is either writing infused or the key thing where one of the assignments that you give, one of the writing assignments that you give does go through a first draft before? How, can I just receive a raise of hands? Okay, so quite a few of you, all right. Um, I think this does have application even if you were going to just do it as a um, for the final, but then it would sort of take on more of the qualities of uh, what Jonathan's talking about um, because it's it's already done and the, the grade is going to be given. Um, why did I choose Grand Canyon? Uh, because I liked it. Um, <laughs> so that's my first slide. <laughs> um, so I realize that I figured I'm going to be in an adversarial position with all of you because how many people want to spend 30 minutes talking with their students about a paper that you just don't have the time. So um, I will say that for me it was a matter of am I going to retire early or am I going to figure out a different way of responding to my students writing because I grew to dread a stack of papers that I would have to write comments on. And when I turned to this, it, it went from something that I hated doing to something that I loved doing. And so for me, it might take a few minutes more. Totally worth it. Um, so the person who I, I had attended a, a writing conference many years ago in which a woman talked about what she had done in her classroom and so I sent out an email message. I tried to I couldn't find it. I sent an email message out to the listserv to find out, okay, so has anyone done this thing where you just talk with your students about the first draft? And sure enough I got a, a, several responses back, but this person really persuaded me. She was actually in the middle of writing a book on writing and self-efficacy and she found that the process of working with her students in person made a huge difference um, in terms of how they believe in themselves. Um, so uh, just as I had no reason for this picture, I am violating all rules, as Jim could say, tell you about PowerPoint presentations. I've put a massive amount of text on there. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to just skim it through um, and see what it is, you know, her enthusiasm and why. Uh, you should know that this, it, she was in the middle of having four classes with 25 students, and she did this with all of her students, and she will never go back. So I was fascinated by that, but I'll, I'll give you a minute to kind of read through that.
So, um, and then just yesterday, uh, so I, I talked about this to a few different people. I don't think I, maybe I did mention it in various, like, faculty meetings or something. But uh, one of our adjuncts, Lizzie Santani, decided, you know, I'm going to try this. And her, I took notes on what she told me yesterday, um, and so you can read that. But to be, what she told me after she had done it. Actually, I heard this reported secondhand, which makes it even more believable. Um, she said, "I will never go back to the way that I, you know, I will not go back to writing comments on papers." Well, actually, I found out she backtracked on that a little bit. <laughs> she's she's going to do it with the research paper uh, because she felt it was so it's such a complicated thing for college English one students. Um, it's so difficult that it was really important for her to be able to have this sit down with them. Uh, and she won't go back apparently to this. This is something that she really uh, wants to do. Um, so uh, last night at about quarter of ten, I said, you know, well, I wonder what my students think about this. <laughs> um, so I wrote, I wrote the students for my last two semesters. And um, I knew that they liked it because it had shown up in my course evaluations. Several students in every class said, this is the best part of the course. So the thing I highlighted, so you don't have to read everything on every slide I give you, um, I highlighted the stuff in yellow, especially the last three, because look what they have in common. This is, and the research shows this too, students don't understand our comments. We don't have to fully explain what it is we mean, especially like Lizzie was talking to me yesterday. She said, you know, if I have a, a question about or I have uh, some suggestions about a how a student could structure a paper or how they could develop an argument so it could be stronger. There's no way in the world I can write on that paper in a way that the student's going to get it. But in a conference, I can spend, I can get five times more words out in the same amount of time and the student will get it. And the other thing is, as you can see from what the second to the last student said, if she's not clear about what I'm saying, she can ask about it right there. Um, uh, there's, there isn't that problem with misinterpretation or just inability to understand something. So I think that's, for me, that's the big takeaway. And these were just the first four who happened to respond. There were several students who, who responded. Um, so, uh, so the next part, so, so here's the, that's the testimony part. Teachers like it. Students like it, um, but how do you actually do it? So um, the, the rest of, it of my talk is really just about that. So the best way to arrange conference I have discovered is through a Google Doc. I just put all the times up. This isn't all the times, but you get the picture. Um, you know where and when. Really important that they be on time. I grill them about that. You've got to be on time. We can't waste time. You're setting things up, and they're very good about that. Um, and you can see, I put done next to all of them. And I'm thinking, that probably helps a little bit, because they know that if they don't come, the word done won't be next to them. And then <laughs> <laughs> everyone else is knowing that they weren't there. So Joseph Farley and Felizardo then 
uh, were one of two of the least less responsible students, and um, we had to do a makeup. Um, so the thing is, though, there's got to be context in which all this conversation happens. Um, so one of the key things for me is there's classroom prep, and that is the students know what the criteria is, you know, are going to be for the paper success. It could be a rubric, but we don't like the rubric, even in the English department, um, as you discovered from Jonathan's response. Um, so I actually talk about it in terms of a checklist. So this checklist is something that is a very practical thing they have that is part of the assignment. So they can kind of go through and see, have I done all these things? Uh, the other contextual bit is the student preparation. I have students what I call, and other instructors call, a meta-text, which is a, a chance for the students to reflect on their own writing. And I've modified it so that they're not just reflecting at the end, they're putting comments pretty much after each paragraph saying, here's a concern I have, or here's, you know, I think I'm doing this pretty well here. So you can see if the student says, need a good transition sentence, need to explain the source and its purpose of answering my overall essay better, I'm already alerted to what the student's going to be totally ready to hear. Um, so this, so these, this combination of the classroom prep, students really understanding what the criteria are, have also given, we've gone over a model essay so they can see how the criteria apply in relationship to a particular essay. So there's that part, and then there's the student preparation of writing a, a, a reflective piece so that they are already in the position of thinking about their paper and what they might do with it next. So um, I have discovered that students have, um, I need to make some individuals, or I have to encourage them to make some um, individual decisions about how to deal with this in that 30 minutes that we have. Many students just want to listen, and they're sure they're going to remember it. Now, last semester, for the first time, I did this with basic skill students. Basic skill students are not, one of the things that is most interesting about basic skill students is not that they're worse writers, because they are, but not that much worse, but they're definitely worse students, by and large. They don't know what it means to be a good student, so they're not as aware of what they need to do to do well, and they're not as aware of themselves as students. <coughs> so in some cases, uh, I think I would say, um, even if they don't take notes while, it, while it's going on, I would ask them to do number three to take notes immediately after the conference. Just sit down, write everything you can remember about this conference. But I do know the better students tend to take notes during the conference. And, um, and then I'll just, you know, I'll pause while they're writing. Uh, and that, so how does, the, how does the conference run? I'll, I'll tell you my way of doing it. And then um, Lizzie does it a very different way because she's smarter than I am. Um, so uh, what I do is the students submit their draft into uh, Blackboard under discussions. This also allows for peer review to happen. Um, and what happens is we simply start, the students start reading their essay aloud. And um, <coughs> they'll stop me if there's something they want to talk about. I obviously will stop them when there's something to talk about. Um, if there are lots of grammatical and sentence level errors, I don't have the time to go over all of them. But what I will do is stop with one or two of them, explain them, which is 
probably the first time that's ever happened with a student in the context of their actual writing. Okay, here's what a commons place. Here's a commons place. Let's talk about how you recognize that. Um, and then for the rest of the time, I will not go, I will not explain anything. I will simply circle things um, or will make a little comment um, while they're reading. Um, uh, now, Lizzie's alternative approach, she apparently can read way faster than I can. She reads through there, and she was working on research papers. So they were writing, students were turning in six pages. She would read through it very quickly. She would circle all the things, maybe write a little comment in a couple different places. And then the remaining time, they would, she would say, okay, first of all, what are your concerns? And then here are my concerns, right? Um, so, uh, at, um, and during this whole process, she is actually writing some notes. She asked the students to print it out in advance. So she is actually writing notes on their paper that um, will function in a very different way than written comments without the oral uh, thing because these written comments that she's writing are simply reminders to the students of this conversation they've had. Um, and uh, she says that many students do take very quick notes as well as they're going through. So one tip, I, I would, I would spread schedule like six in a row, half an hour to things, and I just realized that crazy. Um, so I kind of needed a break and also sometimes it would go over and then this would allow for me to sort of make up for that. So a little bit of a break time is useful. And then the final thing, if they miss a conference, the consequences are dire. <laughs> you won't get a grade in your final paper. You will get a zero. So they realize they have to make up that, that conference. They, it's not an alternative. It's not, a, it's not an option. So um, that's yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm, yeah, so. Okay. I'm just delighted to hear that you don't actually have to read the paper yourself. They read it, I mean, because reading it aloud to me sounds fabulous because they'll see when things are bad. Yeah, right. That's the other thing. Because they're reading it aloud. They're That's not going right. to do that. That's right. Yeah. But can you do this for a paper bigger than five or six pages? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can't. Um, so either you have to be a speed, re speed reader like Lizzie, or you don't do it for those yeah. papers. But or I you decide you're going to do it once in the whole semester for your eight-page paper. paper right? yeah, yeah. But I could see doing it. I mean, I don't know about you, but um, how far do you have to read into a paper before you realize that there are terrible problems with it? I mean, after the first paragraph, very often, maybe two pages. What if you did it for the first two to three pages of the paper? Because frankly, they make the same mistakes over and over and over again. In the space of the first three pages, they've hopefully incorporated some research, and if they haven't done that well, they have made all the mechanical mistakes they're going to be making, comments, places, other things. They don't have a thesis. They don't have the topic sentences. So you don't even have to go through the whole paper with this. You can just go through the beginning of it and say, now it's up to you. Because I'll do that anyway. I learned a long time ago that little squiggly symbol my husband told me I think throughout. <laughs> you did this to the entire paper. I am not marking up every single time you did this thing. You have to find them. I am not your, your copy editor. Um, so I mean those are I think that's and especially upper level students. You know, to say to them, it's now your responsibility. Go to the writing center, by the way. Take this first three pages with these comments, and they will help you figure out what, what the problems are in the next mm -hmm. 10, 7, 10. Yeah, actually, that makes a lot of sense because I try to get the students to see me before they go to the tutor because that will 
they've identified several key problems right. and they can take charge of the tutoring right. session better than they normally yeah. would. Because it's a 50 minute session and the more you can get, the better prepared you are, right, the tutoring, tutoring session, the writing center is yeah. 50 minutes, so, um, yeah, time for, yeah. Do you mind uh, saying real quick how you insert this into your semester and syllabus? Yeah. Do you remove a week of class and substitute uh, this instead, or? I don't because I'm a martyr. Uh, <laughs> but um, I encourage Lizzie to, sure, take a, a class, you know, out, certainly a class. Still doesn't give you an awful lot of time no. back, does it? So, you know, for, for, I mean, both in the estimation of Lizzie and the instructor that, um, that I quoted from the beginning, in my own experience, it doesn't take that much longer. If I, a six, five, six paper, five to six page paper is going to take me 20 minutes to write on anyway. Maybe others of you are magicians, but I haven't figured that out. Yeah, it's an extra 10 minutes. If you have four classes, yeah, that's going to, that's going to, four classes of, well, we have 17, 18 students, so we're, you know, it's different. Um, but it's because it's a writing class. that matter, and you know they're getting it, man. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm spending it. So maybe on those papers, yeah. even if they're six or seven pages. But even I mean, Lizzie's strategy was she chose she chose one paper. I could also imagine doing it for the very first paper, and then students would have the option throughout the rest of the semester. Well, if you'd like to come in and talk to me about writing instead, then you can do it. But not everyone would take you up on it. I remember I had a student in a twelve years ago. Um, she was adorable, young woman. And I don't know what happened in the first one. She, I said, why don't you read this out loud to me? And then she insisted on coming for the entire rest of the semester. <laughs> and those days, it was really like five, six papers in the course. And yeah, yeah. I just remember sitting in my office and saying, hey, well, and he, and while she would read his very gentle voice, I would try to stay away. This is how she got through the rest of the semester. She had found a tool. So. Say, make sure your room's not too warm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, just I think that the meta, having students meta analyze their text is a brilliant idea. Yeah. Yeah, that I mean that and pretty much everyone in our department, you know, in first year writing program does that because they realize this is. Yeah, I should know, do that in all the stuff. Yeah, yes. and also I mean think about it even even more so, and when you're writing in response, this gives you all these openings for the te for the if a student has said I don't understand what I'm doing here, right. they're looking for an answer. They yeah. want to hear what we yeah. have to say. It really it sets up a very different dynamic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is a very, um, a, a very common tool in, in, in composition circles, right? To have students do a meta-narrative and submit it with their paper. Here's what I struggled with. Here are the things I think I did well. Here are the right. things I'm, I still not getting, whatever. So it makes them think about the writing process as well. Um, and because, you know, it's too easy for them to say, oh, yeah, this is great, and, you know, whatever. And then they hand it off to you, and, but they have to acknowledge that there are some, some, some things that are good, bad, whatever. We didn't spend a lot of time on stuff. And so, well, we are actually out of time. Thank you so much for three of you.